Hey folks, you're about to listen to our Reanimator episode with Luana Seta, and we're very excited to present this to you. So sorry to hold that up for a moment, but I just want to tell you about our Patreon. Uh, I know that's a broken record, but it does cost a little bit of money to keep the lights on for our podcast. There's hosting fees, there's cost of keeping a site up, yada yada. Just uh, it adds up over time. So if you go to our Patreon, patreon.com, slash we love to watch uh, you can see some of our tiers that we have available and uh, nothing crazy but if you want to throw us a few bucks a month and we totally understand if you can't that'd be super helpful to uh for us to keep the show running thank you very much for listening uh so you are about to hear our episode on reanimator and bride of reanimator so we hope you enjoy it i'm aaron armstrong i'm pete moran and i'm Lana Sata. And we love to watch. We love to watch left a note. Let me just... Cat dead details later? (laughs) Should be host dead. Details later. (laughs) Hey, Pete. Hey, Luana. Hey, Aaron. How are you doing? <laughs> Thank you for not saying hi to Peter. Uh, I agree. I am. I take priority in the highs around here. <laughs> Peter, it's time for your... Uh, for me to say hello? Your leftover high. Hi, Peter. See ya. <laughs> I reciprocate. <laughs> uh, yeah, Luana is joining us once again from a different continent, which means uh, she has woken up. Not set an alarm this time, but woken up at the crack of dawn to come talk with us. And that's awesome because we are wrapping up a kind of our biggest endeavor we've ever done on We Love to Watch. Um, if you've never heard our show before where We Love to Watch, we're a movie podcast. We pick a theme and we do movies around that theme. And this time we did it for two months. We did the Summer of Lovecraft, which ended up being nine episodes Uh about uh, about uh, Lovecraftian um, movies, Lo- Lovecraftian adaptions, uh, and I think covering about 14 different movies because we doubled up on a lot of episodes. So we actually kind of have a coda to this whole double month uh, next week still with uh, our uh, covering our discussion of Bloodborne, the video game with Andrew Darr. But this is our last uh, Lovecraft straight adaptation movie um, that we'll probably do for a long time because we really, I think, Peter... I think we have one asterisk that we wish we would have covered from an adaptation standpoint, which was Castle Freak. Yeah, but Castle Freak is similar to the movies we're going to cover today, Reanimator and Bride of Reanimator. Yeah, is that because it's by Stugo? It doesn't quite line up with the traditional Lovecraft mythos, so we couldn't quite fit it in, but, like, that sucks, because Castle Freak is a lot of fun. Big spooky monster movie in a house. One of these days. Uh, Also, uh, Jeffrey Wright, too. Uh, But, yeah. Oh, Jeffrey Combs. Jeffrey Combs. (laughs) Quite a difference. I did this to you. Jeez. Uh, yeah, uh, it's gonna be a long episode. Um, they have, they, actually, I can't think of two actors with different, more different styles. I would, I would a hundred percent watch a movie of Jeffrey Wright's character in Westworld, uh, being a scientist with Jeffrey Combs' character in uh, Reanimator. It would be a compression nightmare. It'd be all yelling and all whispering. <laughs> we'll call it the two Jeffs, which is a pulpier take on the two Jakes. We're also joined by a guest, a third time guest, Luana. 
Thank you for coming back on our show. Why don't you introduce yourself to our audience? Uh, hi, my name is Luana Saita, and uh, if you've been listening to We Love to Watch for a while, you may remember me from the uh, Ravenous and Bound episodes. Uh, I have or co-host a kaiju podcast called Monster Island Commentaries, which you can find on uh, SoundCloud and Libsyn. Um, yeah, we we've had so much fun in the uh, in the previous two episodes that uh, yeah, I didn't even think about it. It's been the, th- the third time in. It, it has it really been? Has it? Have they all been yeah. in the same year? Really? Yeah, last time. Well, the last like ten months, twelve months, okay, or yeah, whatever yeah. it is. Because yeah, yeah, October was the yeah. You you joined us to talk about Ravenous mm-hmm. for our Ladies Fright Night month. Yeah, right. And. Um, I think that was uh, that is still one of my favorite episodes we've ever done. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, and I think we were like, yeah, anytime you want to come back on, come back on. <laughs> uh, time zones permitting, sleep <laughs> schedules permitting. But yeah, we're thrilled to have you back on again. So uh, uh, so soon to talk about uh, a movie that is probably considered the definitive. A Lovecraft adaptation and a movie that Peter and I, um, I, I don't know if you've seen it uh, before this Luana, but that Peter and I think doesn't get enough love from both a, a, a essentially adapting a couple chapters of mm-hmm. the, the Love, Lovecraft's uh, original story, but also being a really fun uh, horror movie and Brian using a movie in its own right. Yeah, um, I had I had seen the first one uh, one or once or twice, uh, and I really enjoyed it. Um, I had never seen Bride, so I I I I first watched Bride for this podcast, and uh, what I also did was I read the novella Herbert West Reanimator for the first time uh, for this podcast. Awesome, because uh, yes. I, I don't know. Had you guys uh, read it before? So I read it in college. It's one of the the three uh, Lovecraft stories I got through in college before getting through almost all of them in the last six months. <laughs> um, and I get, getting through is a somewhat of a fair statement, but it really kind of picked up for me as I got uh, got deeper into his work this month <laughs> or this uh, this year. Um, but uh, I did read Reanimator. I think it was the first one I ever read. Uh, or oh, okay. Co- maybe call, maybe second one to Call of Cthulhu back when I was like 20 years old. <laughs> um, and I didn't really appreciate it when I read it, <laughs> to be honest. I was uh, – I'd seen Reanimator and was expecting that. <laughs> it's actually funny because now rereading it again for the first time in 15 plus years, uh, I'm like, oh, it actually is pretty close to Reanimator. Like it is – a comedy it is very funny in a way that i didn't get when i was 20 and hoping for like almost a novelization of, <laughs> of the animated stuart gordon movie um yeah yeah that's where i'm at too i read it i read it a few times i read all of the the the, the i want to say all the good lovecraft stories uh, a few different times uh-huh. um there's you a few read that i never need to read again um, <laughs> some of the more straight out uh, you know outright racist stuff i've never read again but uh herbert west west reanimator uh is one of the ones that i've read a few times because every time i read it it's such a it just feeds the imagination so much like it's it's funny in a way his works are almost never funny um it's it's broken down each chapter is almost like a little short story continuing you know in the it almost feels like comic booky um and uh yeah Luana, what'd you make of uh what'd you make of the original story especially you know watching it in close proximity to to the movie i thought that um 
like you said, it's it's very um, every every chapter feels like a short story, and uh, usually um, it's 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 a bit longer than the usual uh, Lovecraft story. I think this one qualifies as a full-on uh, novella, I believe, um, and uh, you know he got published in the in the weird fiction back in the 20s and, and 30s. And I think in Reanimator, you really, really feel that this was an installment, um, an installment work. Like, because almost at the start of every chapter, there's a little recap. Like, uh, yeah. you know, like you got Stan Lee going yeah. out. Previously, uh, Herbert <laughs> exactly. West. Last time, True um, Believers. <laughs> um, yeah, and that's it, actually why he got some of his later works. He got um, really fed up with <laughs> the, the weird tales and the other esoteric sort of sci-fi and horror mags and, you know, weird story mags. <laughs> uh, he got fed up with them because he was like, I don't know how to properly break this long story up into <laughs> little short bite-sized segments but also like he was a short story guy uh-huh. so like he was awkwardly trapped between worlds but this feels like um this feels like one of his works that i think is best suited to the to the format because mm-hmm. you're like two guys raising it's actually pretty easy to catch up two guys raising corpses from the dead getting into misadventures a- along the way uh-huh. well and if you missed it you just go to the Weird Tales, or I think this was one, what is it, Homebrew? I think that was the name of the magazine this was released on. Uh-huh. Um, and, and yeah, you just go on their website and check out the archives and catch up in case you missed the last issue when this came Yeah, in, 19, in the 1920s. Yeah, that's the joke. <laughs> on their website there was, and there was no, there was no in. internet. I, yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, this, is actually, <laughs> this, this was actually the first uh, uh, time Lovecraft got paid to publish something. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, so he um, and he fucking hated this story. He, really, uh, he hated he, he hated, hated most everything. things that he wrote, <laughs> but he had a very specific hatred towards this story. Uh, and he did, he considered it kind of a joke. He considered being paid for his work a joke, mm-hmm. and he was just essentially tossing it off to uh, literally just pay for uh, internet. I suppose. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it gets um, expensive. It does. Uh, he was. He was only at back then. It was what fourteen point yeah. four MPS. MPS. Yeah. <laughs> Providence is a Time Warner town, so you know he's not getting much bang. You got. It's like a monopoly. You got one choice <laughs> yeah. for the internet. Um, but uh, yeah. So this this is such a weird one, and um, and I was actually uh, reading an interview with Stuart Gordon about making this movie <laughs> that he had st- actually started. So it, this this was apparently out of print when he. Oh wow. Uh, when he went to go uh, uh, try to make a movie out of it, and he wanted to make a Frankenstein type movie because he was sick of vampire movies that were getting released in the eighties. Mm-hmm. He's like, I want to do a Frankenstein movie. And someone he had never heard of this story. It was recommended to him. He ended up finding a copy at like the Chicago Library or something like that. And he um, he like literally they wouldn't let him check it out because it was he had to go to the library in the rare book section and read it. It actually only got republished again. Uh, after um, after the movie oh, came yeah. out, okay. and then eventually everything went to the public domain uh, a few years after that. I think it's probably the best way to uh, to experience Lovecraft. That you actually have to go into the rare books section and physically read it there. That you feel like a Lovecraft protagonist. <laughs> I know. Oh that's... yeah, exactly. That's I mean that's why it's a fun story that Stuart Gordon has told in a few different places. Is because it's like yeah, he kind of got to turn into his own his own uh, Lovecraft protagonist. <laughs> and like, it is funny though that like most of us have probably read Lovecraft on public domain PDFs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or 
Mass or three three dollar penguin paperbacks that Aaron and I both own, (laughs) Um, or the I have two or three anthology collections just sitting on my shelf because they have different stories in them. Um, I have a complete one too that has like a cool artwork and stuff like that. (laughs) Because as much as I love that, like everybody has access to these works, and yet this dead racist is getting not a penny from it. Um, (laughs) As much as I love, I love that the the idea that. You can literally just download them all on like a million websites, yeah. and like it's all, it's all right. Like I actually read the Reanimator on Wikisource. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's, uh, it's everywhere. It's not hard to find. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, so he uh, originally was going to make this what is a as a thirty minute. He, he wanted to do a series. <laughs> uh, where he made each Stuart uh, Gordon. Ch- Stuart Gordon wanted to make a chapter. A 30-minute episode of television. Mm-hmm. Uh, couldn't get the funding for that. Tried to make an hour special. Couldn't get the funding for that. And then eventually Brian Usna, who we're going to talk more about, uh, said just make it a feature and throw in all the parts of the books that are interesting to you. Mm-hmm. So it was it was Which crazy. nowadays it would be flipped. Netflix would say, uh, we don't really want a movie. Can you make an eight or eight or ten episode season <laughs> out of this? And and I get that there's six chapters. Can we make it 18 parts? <laughs> can it can it really overstay its welcome? <laughs> yeah. Uh, can we can we welcome it to the scorch, as you would say? <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so he he really like. Um, and then what's funny is that so Brian Usen produced the first one. This is also our um, definitely not our first Stuart Gordon movie um, over the last couple. Yeah, of months. we're Gordon hard on him. Uh, yeah, we call him Stugo now. Oh, okay, um, because we're like, we're good uh, friends after covering six of his movies, like the Lovecraftian creature, the Migo. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Stugo. Um, but it's our first Brian Usen movie uh-huh. that we've done, and I've. I've actually really become a Brian Usna fan because of one very specific movie, which we will probably talk about a little. But to be clear, we will not talk about the last 30 minutes because I don't care if that movie's been out for 30 years. Peter and I have an agreement that we will never say the ending of that movie on our show until we actually cover it one of these days. And that movie is Society. And it's uh, and it's a movie that uh, while it is uh, gross as fuck, um, it's not quite a Lovecraftian horror. So we didn't no. shove it into this month, but we do have a plan for it for a future future month. So <laughs> yeah, I th- um, I think you could make the argument it's the best movie of all time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have you seen Have you seen Society, Luana? No, but I have seen screenshots of it. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, you you love it. It's uh, it's really one of those good. Movies that every every time that some dumbass uh, dumbass Republican or dumbass uh, neo Nazi, um, if those are not the same thing at this point, I don't know what they are. Um, gets on camera <laughs> and starts. I think you can get the neo out of it. Yeah, regular old Nazi uh, gets on camera and starts talking about, like, family values, but also put these people in camps. Um, <laughs> movies like Society just feels so much more crucial. Uh, yeah, I, I think I sort of vaguely know the, the gist of it. Um, but, you know, evil, evil rich people uh, is always something that I do enjoy. So I guess, yeah, you know, the, uh, this is my third episode now. So y- y'all got my number. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. No I mean, one has yeah, dibs on I, society. I, 
I can hi- yeah, highly recommend um, seeing Society it, as soon as you possibly can. It was um, – I don't know if I had to convince you to see it, Peter, but I definitely bought it for you and sent it to you. <laughs> I, think that's, I think that's the same thing as convincing someone to see it. Like, look, uh, I paid money for this and had it shipped to your home. <laughs> so can you watch it so we can talk about it? Um, but yeah, wait, where were we? Oh, yeah. So, oh. so Stuart Gordon was going was gonna to turn this into a show. He got convinced to turn it into a movie. And then um, what's very, very interesting about these two movies and why I'm, I'm covering both of them, and I, I think a lot of uh, Lovecraft podcasts uh, don't cover both of them, mm-hmm. is because one is more respected and it's easier to get a hold of. Uh, the DVD that I watched for years of Bride of Reanimator um, is long out of print, long, long out of print, mm-hmm. and it was a full frame um probably a rip of a vhs and it's the theatrical cut and it looked like like i said the rip of a vhs it looked like shit (laughs) um and uh it recently has had an amazing restoration but it's still one of those things it's like a it's i think it's like a 30 or 35 dollar blu-ray like something that's oh wow it's it's pretty expensive yeah for Um, for bride mega thing for bride yeah it's and thankfully it's streaming on amazon prime right now right now (laughs) yeah so if you do get a chance to to watch it you should it it's actually something that yeah i didn't watch it for the first time until about five years ago and i got the disc from netflix and it was one of those things somewhere in the av club comments where all of a sudden people are like oh yeah that's actually really good and i was like wait what like one of the sequels is good <laughs> um and uh it was before i had seen any brian used in movies or really even knew who he was uh-huh. And ended up, yeah, getting the disc from Netflix. I was like, yeah, that was really good. <laughs> and I didn't – because it had been so far removed from reading the story, it was it was really great to do all three in within a couple days of each other. Like read the story and watch these two movies <laughs> because I really was able to appreciate that the sequel basically took all of the leftover threads that made sense from the story <laughs> and put them into their own version which is really great. And there's so many things that I didn't get were in the original story from the first movie. Like, essentially, the the fucking paper mache had and the guy <laughs> and with the with the guy and the, uh, you know, the, oh, the doctor with yeah, the head walking yeah, yeah. around. Like, that's all in the fucking story. Yeah. I, like, I didn't get that the first time because, again, Lovecraft is very hard to read <laughs> sometimes. And, and uh, yeah, you're right. It, basically, the story – this is adapting the second half of the story, but with details of the first half as well. It's sort of taking – I feel taking, like it's really a grab bag. So, like, so I think the, they pull from all over. But I, I the way I <laughs> Which is very thematically thesis, appropriate. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. It is a grab bag monster movie. Like, uh, some fingers and a uh, shoulder. <laughs> and, and an eyeball. Uh, and I and a butt and I'm moving on. Um, they say a perfect man doesn't exist, but have you seen an eyeball and a butt? <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, so uh, the way I view it is that there is the first one is a story of innocence, and it's it's these. Uh, and Herbert West is a young doctor exploring uh, the serum that he found, and he has this very specific sort of morality, and he is um, corrupting a young mind to his his pull mm-hmm. and saying, you know, you'll be a uh, – this Dr. Kane is saying you'll be a uh, – 
you'll be famous you'll be you'll be known as a doctor before you even graduate medical school you'll have you'll have you'll be more famous than einstein and marie curie and yada yada like he's basically promising promising him the world um and then that turns to chaos then the second half literally uh, bride of reanimator literally opens with um dr hill promising revenge on those two mm-hmm. and we open up and kane is fully corrupted mm-hmm. they're doing they, they go to war and you're not sure whether or not they're going to war to actually help people or as a safe cover for experiment yeah. which if you read the original story it's the latter <laughs> it's totally the latter um and so it's like it's like a that's them going through a, they're fully corrupted and the second half of the story is a, a story of vengeance of, of comeuppance and of retribution and of justice it's like them getting them having to continue tend with the fact that they they became the monsters themselves and i i fucking love i fucking love that the that it's laid out in this like two-part way because like the first one is like very fun and vibrant and it gets really gross yes but like you never really feel like west and kane are true villains yeah and then by you get to part two you're like oh (laughs) they're they are bad, bad people, and they both deserve to be buried in the ground. And, like, maybe one of the few things I don't like about the story is that, like, Kane escapes from their grave, the grave. Uh, and then Beyond kind of tells you, like, hey, these are bad people. What if we made a bad movie? Yeah. Yeah, they're like, the, the ultimate evil is, is making you watch this piece of trash. Don't watch Beyond. Whatever you do. I saw Beyond, like, when I was, oh, God, when I was, like, 18, 19. It was the first reanimator I ever saw. Oh. Uh, and I I don't remember fucking shit of it, so. <laughs> it's so generic. It's so boring. Made for sci-fi boring, TV. It, it is really yeah, boring, because then when I saw Re- the, the first one in my mid-20s, I was shocked at how good it was. And I was like, oh, my yeah. God, the first reanimator is actually, like, a full-on classic you know (laughs) it's not good when the only time you perk up in a movie is to be offended (laughs) (laughs) yeah you're like like, um, like, i was like oh yeah that's really sexist and gross and like oh that's actually really (laughs) racist oh that's making uh, that's making light of like a horrific a prison industrial complex thing (laughs) just like you're back to sleep (laughs) Uh, i i i can't believe you woke up to get offended because I don't remember anything except going, why am I watching this? This is so bad. Yeah, it feels, it feels uh, it's, if it wasn't for Jeffrey Combs, it would feel like an asylum movie. Like he's the one A, you know, triple A <laughs> class part of the movie. Uh-huh. Which he tends to be in, uh, in shitty movies. <laughs> My sequence of experiencing the narratives for this podcast was short story, uh, first movie, second movie. And uh, the only one of them uh, that I had already experienced before was the the first movie, which I had seen a couple times. And um, rewatching the first movie in the context of the uh, novella, I was like, uh, Yuzna and uh, Gordon did some really clever adaptation work in the mm-hmm. um, in the character department because. I think that the novella sees, um, like, the, the narrator, the Dan Kane character. I, I don't know if, if Kane is mentioned. I think he's just the nameless narrator uh, in the novella. Yeah, yep. the nameless narrator yeah. in the book, yeah. Uh, and, like, he is so full of, like, straight fr- out of the gate. He's so full of, like, admiration for this brilliant youth, Herbert West. And, like, he is 
also described in a way that is very much not like the weaselly Jeffrey Coombs. You know, he's like uh, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, with a, a delicate, almost feminine face, <laughs> and like uh, he's 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 very <laughs> yeah. he's very much described as um, you know one of one of Lovecraft's good ones, like ooh, pure European stock, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, you know what that means? That means that there. Um, he's like I yeah. He's like I hate Nazis, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> look at this guy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And um, what what the movie does is, like, when all the characters are introduced, like, there's almost, like, you know, he's... A, Kane is, like, the, the wholesome all-American guy with his, with his varsity girlfriend or whatever, uh, Barbara Crampton. Uh, and and uh, fucking West is, like, this shaking and mumbling like angry otaku almost you know he's like uh, he's, he's like the literal opposite of 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 the um of the west that we meet in the in the novella the evolution of it is that um because because i don't because i think that movie west is kind of well, so is Novella West, but in a different way. Uh, movie West is, is, is a flat character. He is, you know, he, he exits the second movie in the same way that he entered the first movie, I think. Like, he's he's just, he only cares about his research, and everyone else is a, is a, is a, is a mental short person. <laughs> and Yeah, I see him as a comic book character where he's like, yeah. that consistency means he's allowed to go on as many adventures as, as you know, as we need to, and then other characters are the main characters that go through growth, not him. Right, and and the um and the, the growth of the narrator in is that at one point in the novella he's like, he's going too far, you know, and, and like it, <laughs> it, it it does take him quite a while <laughs> to to realize that well, Oh, maybe this is kind of uh, not kosher, but uh, <laughs> and I think the Dan Kane growth is that he gets rather than realizing that he goes too far is like the actual the literal inverted character arc that he gets corrupted into it by by West. Like he starts out like, "What are you doing? This is this is not okay," <laughs> and uh, he uh, you know he's he's just a full on accomplice making himself a bride by the end. I do really like the way that the the beginning of Bride is like. Because you can see a version of this where Dan isn't with him at the beginning of Bride, right? And I like that because of all the horrific things and, like, literally following Wes, like, got Meg killed and, like, just, you know, in some in some ways destroyed his life. Mm-hmm. And, like, that there's a huge eruption at the end that we're going to talk about. And it feels like at the end of that that Dan would have went and then – and said, I'm out. Yeah. Like, in between the – in between fade out – credits um the fact that it opens with them like he's literally followed him to war (laughs) like there is something so like yeah he just like he doesn't put up much of resistance at the beginning he destroys his relationship to get there and he was just on board and you're supposed to think of him as this like he's the reluctant guy going along who eventually is going to become the good guy and you're right like he never does and he never really was to begin with and um the HP literary podcast guys were saying that like uh, or maybe it was Stuart Gordon actually who said it uh, that he actually thinks Dan is the worst character in his in both the novel and <laughs> that like that like Herbert West is this maniac, right? <laughs> Herbert um, West has his own morality, right? Like Herbert West is yeah. operating on this level where he's like, 
if I can push this forward, I can legitimately save the lives of everyone on Earth. Right? It's crazy. He does crazy. He takes crazy risks and crazy sacrifices on other people's part to do it. Mm-hmm. But like Herbert West is like, yes, it'll make me. Yeah, I'll be the most famous person on Earth. I'll be the greatest scientist on Earth. Yada yada. But like, he does like his discovery will help a lot of people. Uh-huh. <laughs> but like, he just he just yeah, you're right. He has a different morality than um, than everyone else. He. He's he's a monster. He's a bad person in both the novel and the movies. But he's just not operating like with the same perspective on reality as most people are conscious or whatever else you'd call it. Where Dan like is very aware (laughs) of what is going on in in every incarnation of his character. The fact that Dan loses Meg and then keeps going. <laughs> yeah. He constantly rationalizes or ignores stuff or just keeps going. He's like, oh, yeah, I don't know. That was crazy. I think he shot someone. Anyway, <laughs> working next story. Like, it is uh, – and that's why, yeah, it, it is such a funny character because neither movie does the easy thing, which is let Dan have a hero moment. It, like, at most, he complains a little bit. <laughs> uh, yeah. But anyways – the one thing I we, we do need to get into these movies more um, more detailed, do some plot recaps. The one thing I want to spend five minutes on before we do that is we've talked so much about uh, Stugo this month and his directing style and the movies that he's making. Uh, this is our first Usenet movie, and I want to watching these back to back really solidified why, even though they have had a, such a close working relationship and remain friends to this day. That used new movies always do feel different to me than Stuart Gordon movies. And I think it's subtly different because they are they've they've collaborated so much and they make very similar types of movies. But really, like there there is a big difference. And I think what that difference is, is like Gordon is really like tight. Like he is like he is like a, a little bit of a perfectionist. His movies kind of go from point A to point B. They're very funny and um but they're but they're a little more grounded which kind of feels funny to say about Stuart Gordon movies <laughs> but really Yuzna is like a lot but his movies are so short right like Stuart Gordon like he makes them 80 minutes he gets in all his punches he kind of focuses on where he's going with the story where Yuzna like it he is bigger and more operatic like he has these like fanciful colorful scenes and having watched uh, his movie Faust uh, Love and the Love and Damned or Love and the Damned last October which was a movie I actually really enjoyed but it was like a, it's a Phantom of the Opera and Faust like combination horror movie set in Europe and um it was like this big opera, like crazy stuff. And you really see that here at the scenes at the end, which feels like something that is much more aligned with Usna than it is um, with Gordon or like the Peter, you've seen the dentist, right? Like, yeah, that is really where he is like big and to the camera and crazy and sheets are flailing behind him and stuff like that. It's like, oh, that's the difference between them. That's why they don't quite feel like. Uh, you can tell the difference between their work. Bride feels so much looser and wilder yeah. and more willing to um, break tone. And go on tangents. And I'm not, I don't mean this as an insult or a compliment to either of the filmmakers. I'm saying this is just as like, you know, whatever. Stuart Gordon's a more traditional filmmaker. Stuart Gordon is very con- is, is generally very consistent. Like Brian Usna could never have directed Stuck. 
but Stuart no. Gordon did a fantastic job on Stuck because it's it's a simple movie with simple drama and and, 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 the, and the the character but the characters are complex and and uh, and delicate and he's not just throwing um, sensationalism at us. Whereas like Yuzna is willing to go bonkers insanity and like that sort of Yuzna's uh, willingness to go for the Grand Guignol to go for the the wild to go to go for the silly. Mm-hmm. Um, does does make him uh, I think a good choice for this kind of script where it's just about like you could it's sort of a cliche to say it's a descent into hell um, because they literally go into a hell tomb beneath their their cemetery house <laughs> and then they have to crawl their way out of it but um, that's sort of it is like this is this is a movie about descent into madness into wildness this is about this is about Kane's and West's systems collapsing, their systems of control collapsing, where they start improvising, they start taking unnecessary risks, they start getting way wilder and letting things get way more out of their, out of their hands than they did in the first one. And that's because they are going off the rails. Like, West is literally yeah. executing prisoners within eyesight of other prisoners. Like, they don't... <laughs> West is a gun in this movie. <laughs> like, yeah. that's, what, that's basically a sign that West is going into full on like fucking um hunter thompson or whatever kid territory right Where he's, he's just like i've got a gun i'm in the next in the next movie they start talking about the reanimation uh fluid being sort of like a drug and you're like they don't show it in this movie but i could almost see west like shooting up the reanimation fluid to, to get high the way characters do it yeah. in the next movie yeah well and it also like it does feel like this is more on that same like you're right bonkers crazy tangent messy like this feels as much of a companion piece to me as it does to reanimator as it does to movies like uh frankenhooker or blood diner like not just because both of those movies are also about putting pieces of of a person together and reanimating them but like it does it it feels like it's ready to go to a bunch of different places as opposed to like you're right like i'm gonna focus i'm gonna tell this story uh and that's what Stuart gordon's really good at um and i their collaboration i think i'd love to hear more behind the scenes of like how they work together um just because it is so interesting of like they do have complementary styles and similar styles but they they are one of those great partnerships that produced all these wonderful campy uh, gory movies from the 80s and 90s. Or I didn't quite realize it while watching it, especially because it was the first time I'd ever seen it, but it makes a lot of sense that Yuzna um, is a bit looser, a bit more operatic, while Gordon is more like the effective, um, you know, uh, punchline delivery machine, as it were. Yeah. Because um, if... I remember while watching Bride, I was like, you know, this one doesn't have quite the propulsion of the first one it's a bit more meandering it's a bit more yeah it's unstructured in a way yeah like the the first one has like the threat of dr hill like there's a yep. there's that there's a com- competitive guy who is like the antagonist and there's this threat constantly in the background and like the big apocalyptic moment with like the tomb opening up and like oh it's full of crazy corpses that west must have uh, assembled over the over the last couple of months it's a thing that is suddenly there and it's it's not um 
like you realize, oh my god, Wes must have been fucking around so much with the corpses in the tomb, uh, right? Of course, and that's like that real, but it hadn't been um, set up beyond. Oh, there's a tomb right next to our lab, you know. <laughs> and yeah. yeah, and they set it up. They set it up maybe ten minutes before, <laughs> where they hear some scurrying in the walls, and West is like, "It's okay," and you're like, "It's definitely not okay," because West is a terrible liar. <laughs> It, it, there's some rats in the walls, which is referenced. I was going to say, yeah, I was like, haha, that's that. Yeah. <laughs> I do love cute. when he yells at him, though, to shut up. Oh, yeah. And, yeah um, he's, it's, it's, uh, but yeah, you're right. Like, the they don't set that up at all. But then at the end of the movie, they're just like, monster, monster closet right here. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, yeah. it's, it's really just to, to, to be able to go, like, here's a fucking Grand Guignol finale that, that I wanted to have. <laughs> and yeah, because yeah. they, they hired for the, because, uh, Brian Yuzna had developed his, his, started developing at least his relationship with, um, Screaming Mad George. So he, uh, his sister, society guy and the guy that he would work with on faust and like all those crazy those crazy uh sfx adventures uh this is this that's why the effects in bride of reanimator are so insane uh-huh. and insanely gross uh is because screaming mad george was like i want to try this technique and brian yes be like make a monster we'll put it in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's that, that actually kind of explains why there is like a sudden diorama of amazing zombies at the end <laughs> like uh, yeah like the one oh god the one with the that's like two people front to back <laughs> oh i wrote that one down that one is so gross because it comes at you and you're like all right i've seen a zombie before and then they kind of flip halfway through and grab her and you're like <laughs> it's so much more terrifying i think that person was maybe double jointed there was a trick involving the person's limbs to make that effect work yeah all right. um, so there's some great physical performers uh behind the scenes as well making making these effects sing yeah, because like that one and actually several ones where I was like, okay, that's either like a mime or an acrobat or like a legit <laughs> disabled person to like that yeah. they grafted some yeah. prosthetics onto, you know, because uh, it, it, it yeah. was too fluid. It was too. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> this is not a puppet. Yeah, exactly. No, because <laughs> I mean, the contrast with the with the iguana puppet and the bat puppet is just too much. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It is. So I so uh, in, com- in in contrast to the effects in the first movie, which while disgusting, they're they're more uh, textural and slimy mm-hmm. and in the moment and very um, they're more horrifying almost in the first one. I, I would say the only thing in the second one that really like uh, really makes you like want to gag is when the um, the the bride is is uh, destroying herself. That's, yeah. that's that is as gross as anything in the first movie. The first movie is has simpler effects. They're largely just zombies, but the the things that they do with those effects is grosser. So that really speaks to how Brian Yuzno is more of this like uh, more of an extreme filmmaker than Stuart Gordon. Even though Stuart Gordon was willing to really dig into those moments, dig into the characters, dig into the effects, um, and, uh, and, and work with, make a, uh, make hay out of a lot of the, these, this, this, uh, simple stuff. Yeah. It is weird to think that like Stuart Gordon is like grounded comparatively, (laughs) but he is like, he's just much more grounded as like the way he wants to present his films than Yuzna who like, yeah. Yeah, it's okay. It doesn't look great. Yeah, we'll do the bad head stuff. That's good. Yeah. I like bad heads. Bad heads are good. Which actually, again, goes back to why I think it makes so much more sense that 
like Stuart Gordon was like, no, I'm going to do an episode of each chapter mm-hmm. of Reanimator to tell the story. And then Brian Usna is the one that told him, nah, just grab whatever from <laughs> it. Like, go do, just go make a movie, grab whatever, you'll be fine. <laughs> um, and, like, that makes so much sense when you see these two movies back to back. But yeah. uh, having said that, we should start talking more in depth about the movies. <laughs> We've already really uh, started skimming the surface and picking out some pits. I don't know what that means. Take that out, maybe, Peter. Absolutely not. Uh, <laughs> Great. Yeah, you guys want to talk about Stuart Gordon's Reanimator. Do it. All the children this time. Did they ever, did they ever expect such a Frankenstein? A Frankenstein. Peter, do you want me to do the first one? Recap? Uh, uh, sure, sure. Great, because I'm gonna. I'm going to do the recap, Peter. Recap, um, Yeah. So it's uh, so the movie's called Reanimator. And what happens is is that uh, old, uh, old Jeffrey Combs <laughs> plays Herbert West. And he is trying to... Did you say to... Herbie's fully loaded? Oh, no. I would actually say the corpses that he puts the fluid into are fully loaded. I think he is... He's half-cocked at best. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. Do you, would you say in the sequel, uh, he rides again? Oh. They go to war in Monte Carlo. <laughs> yeah. I would describe I would describe the other one as uh, uh, saving Private Herbert. <laughs> That's what I, would. Um, I would say Herbert West definitely goes bananas, though. Did you think that Peter spent a significant amount of time on the Herbie series Wikipedia page, or uh, <laughs> or just a small amount of time? That was off the top of my head. But uh, yeah, so uh, so he is he has a fluid. He injects it into things. It reanimates tissue, uh, depending on their freshness. We'll talk quite a lot about freshness, I imagine, over the next hour. Uh, but uh, he goes. He ends up. He's he's traveling in Europe. He gets sent to Miskatonic University. Miskatonic University. Sorry, Peter. Um, and uh, he meets Dan. They're medical students. He's talking with Doctor Doctor Hills, the main speaker teacher guy. And I'm really trying to go this fast. Instead, I'm just saying words <laughs> as opposed to actually giving a coherent plot. But um, they, uh, uh, Doctor West, decides to become roommates with Dan, uh, much to Meg, uh, Dan's girlfriend or fiance, and uh, daughter to the dean. Uh, is upset about because Herbert West wants to reanimate dead tissue. Dr. Hill is kind of this uh, pervert, lewd, aggressive, sexual assaulty uh, teacher who uh, likes to do the old ways. And eventually, uh, uh, Herbert West starts reanimating some, some dead things. And then things go like 40 minutes into this movie, everything goes to shit and like it never comes back because uh, the Dean dies they immediately just bring him back to life because he's fresh. Mm-hmm. And then he ends up in a cell. Dr. Hill is like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to control him. I realize what's going on here. So he tries to steal Dr. West's formula. Uh, uh, Herbie kills him, cuts off his head with a shovel, the, and then injects him immediately with the fluid. <laughs> um, but so the head comes back to life and unbeknownst to Herbie, the, he can control the body. Um, so the body knocks out Dr. West and then Dr. Hill puts his plan into place, which is uh, injecting the fluid into a bunch of 
different corpses to uh, to publish his research himself, uh, to which uh, uh, Jeffrey Combs has one of the best line deliveries in all of cinema. When uh, confronted with this plan that he's going to take his research and become a famous doctor where he says, um, who's going to believe a talking head? <laughs> um, <laughs> which is great because, yeah, how is Dr. Hill going to go and publish all this? Time? Anyways, then there's a big uh, his his but Dr. Hill's plan is that he's controlled all these corpses. So then they fight. They stab. There's blood. It's fantastic. Meg dies in the process. And the end of the movie is Dan uh, injecting Meg because he is fully bought into uh, Herbert West's uh, reanimating tissue stuff. So that's a pretty fucking messy recap. But <laughs> I'm, I'm going for expediency's sake. And also knowing that most of the people listening to this, I would assume, have seen uh, Reanimator. Yeah. To, to, uh, to goofs reanimate a bunch of corpse doesn't go well. Otherwise, it uh, wouldn't be much of a movie if it went well, right? Yeah, so it feels like we, we need to start with Jeffrey Combs, right? Like, he's so fucking good in this movie. Yeah. And I'll be honest, my biggest hey, Aaron, disappointment... Aaron, we spent like an hour talking him up on the From Beyond episode, so I really don't think that there's any reason for us not to do it right here also. Um, but this is like... I, we actually talked about how different... Like, what's really cool about From Beyond, uh, Luana, I don't know if you listened to that to our episode, is that Barbara Crampton and Jeffrey Combs essentially switch roles. <laughs> and so Jeffrey Combs, like, my biggest... My biggest problem when I saw From Beyond the first time, I actually appreciate it a lot more now, was that Jeffrey Combs didn't get to do his, his shtick, his Herbert West shtick in this movie. Um, but that is because he is the Meg character in that movie. And my biggest problem with Bride of Reanimator is that he is so much more, uh, he he's less, I don't know what the right, like, animalistic in Bride. And I think that's because he doesn't have a, he's not pushing against a system, right? He's not, he doesn't have a Dr. Hill, an antagonist, to push against. Right, right, right. So, much like when you see uh, Bruce Campbell in the Evil Dead movies and then you're like holy shit i have to see more bruce campbell movies and you and you end up renting shit like mind warp to try to get a little bit of like bruce campbell fix and you're like this just isn't quite it yeah, right, right. i think jeffrey combs has the same problem like even other reanimator movies either even other Stuart gordon movies he just never quite had it down exactly like this from a scripting and dialogue and delivery like this is there's and it's not because jeffrey combs isn't amazing in other things he is it's just this was just the perfect script the perfect movie the perfect direction for something truly truly unique and special he was he was briefly in a few episodes of batman the animated series he was the scarecrow he was the voice of the scarecrow yeah and he played the question in Justice. Oh yeah, he did. He did. <laughs> and uh, I have already said this uh, this uh, summer, but in a one of the Scooby Doo shows, he plays a uh, mad scientist character named uh, Doctor Hatecraft. <laughs> Hatecraft. <laughs> Not Lovecraft. Oh, 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 he's so much darker. Than <laughs> Lovecraft was a wuss. <laughs> Like ironically, Hatecraft is actually a pretty woke doctor. <laughs> like, it's Lovecraft. That's the racist. <laughs> <laughs> 
he's just this, this shining bright beacon and in uh, pretty much anything he's in he's gonna be the best part i can think of no examples he's he's not the best actor uh, at a minimum he never quite racked up the same filmography he's a bit of a vincent price in my in my estimation because he's just a delight to watch even when the movie is not yeah. so good around him um I, I like hearing him talk i like i like i literally like seeing his um body language I, he's he's just a delight to watch uh he has he has these weird sort of um and it's very funny in a movie like Reanimator. He has these weird rubbery cheeks that, whenever he's indignant, yeah. go like, Ooh. <laughs> and uh, it's it's like he himself is, um, and it's, yeah, it's like you said, it's it's just Reanimator is the perfect vehicle for him because he he feels like such a part of the scenery, you know, like um, to, to to get a little cheesy. Um, you know how they say that, like, the the statue is in the stone, you just need to find a way to get it out? <laughs> it's almost like the yeah. movie was created, especially, or, or, like, it was so serendipitous that that, that movie took shape around that actor um, to just yeah. showcase both of their strengths, you know, of, of the entire crew, the effects people, the direct the direction and uh, the main the main actor, which is actually funny because in both Bride and the original, uh, I think he's credited as and with Jeffrey Combs. Yeah, as <laughs> which is an honorable that's an honorable title. Yeah. And Jeffrey Combs as Doctor Herbert, <laughs> like Dan's the main character. Yeah, if you if you can't get top billing, that's considered like the honorable seat, right? Mm-hmm. For uh, for the stuff, and uh, he should always be. And Jeffrey Combs asks what the <laughs> fuck he's playing in the movie, even if he's in it for thirty seconds and then gets eaten by a monster. Well, and as um, you mentioned, Vincent Price, I don't know if you've seen the the movie Would You Rather, where he's essentially playing a Vincent Rice a uh, Price type role. Like oh, a really? socialite who, yeah, it's like Saw plus uh, a perfect host. Uh, it's uh, He's like a socialite uh, dash cackling monster. <laughs> uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about um, the gore effects in this one because uh, they're super, super gross and good. And I like them. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of subtle things that they do in the performances, actually, that make the gore stand out. So, the, 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 the yes, the zombies are gross, but they do a couple things that make the zombies vary. We talked about in a few different previous episodes about Stuart Gordon's effects being uh, wet and slimy uh-huh. and greasy. Um, his zombies are snotty. Like, they have, like, fluids and not just blood. Usually people just go for the blood. They've got, like, snot and drool and, like, they're going for, like, the lymphatic system as opposed to just purely the blood. Uh Part of getting the serum is that to make room for the serum, all of the bile and fluid needs to come out of your mouth. (laughs) It displaces too much other liquid. Um, And what I love about that is that the zombies wandering around and giving these, these really wonderful, scary performances. Like, I love in in 2019 being able to watch a movie and be like fuck that zombie gave an awesome zombie performance because <laughs> um, now I think a lot of people are just copying the dead movies and it's like a copy of a copy of a copy um, in this it was like them being like well we're not that kind of dead we're we're like reanimated and we've gone completely fucking bonkers insane yeah. and that's why they, in, the, in the sequel they get locked up in, in an insane asylum because it's like well yeah they're acting like 
people who have have suffered serious, you know, uh, uh, some sort of serious uh, <laughs> a fa- a brain damage. I, I'm not even sure. They're acting like people who've who've completely lost connection with with uh, their rational rational mind. Yeah, and, and like um, I think that that gives it an interesting uh, wrinkle because they they don't necessarily like. There's no um, there's no disease subtext. There's no, um, oh no, can get bitten or I'll become one of them. Um, no, you, you can get bitten. You, that just means you're bitten. <laughs> you know, just, uh, they, um, if, if, if a reanimator zombie wants to kill you, he'll have to go through the whole process like, like a regular human. He'll have to, you'll have to, you know, I don't know, rip your head off or something before you're full on, uh, dead. You're not going to get infected. And also they don't, they don't hunger for flesh like the classic zombie. They just, they're just kind of mad and aggressive uh and um what i yeah and, and exactly it's 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 the um i don't want to say love because uh, maybe maybe it is love like love of all the bodily fluids like let's not keep it to to blood that's that's absolutely great and i think one like to me one of the more emblematic shots of like what typifies stugo is um it's a it's a very small moment i'm glad i'm glad that's catching <laughs> i i do my best i, I like those uh, i like those celeb uh, compound oh, names <laughs> yeah formento um one of the <laughs> one of the um it's fairly early in the movie when i don't think any corpses have been revived yet there's a Q-tip that goes into a temple. Like it's not showy or anything, but we've we've all had a Q-tip that has gone a little too deep in our ears. So, <laughs> and you know immediately, it's like it's not yeah. even like a centimeter. It's like half a centimeter. And you're like, whoops, no, get it out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you've you've seen the thing. You you've seen it sort of happen. <laughs> so you super empathize with with is with what is going on screen. And I think like. Th- the Q-tip and like let's say the shot of the bride disintegrating at the end of the second movie those are like the two perfect um, sort of emblematic shots of the two movies for me mm-hmm. oh yeah like this is like maximum maximum audience like gross out effect even even with with a fairly minimal amount of stuff that's going on on screen whereas like the bride's integration is like oh maximum stuff on screen <laughs> and you're so right it's it's uh it's it's so true because Stuart gordon takes a moment of it's a medical procedure <laughs> um it's not even a medical procedure it's, it's technically a medical educational procedure but he takes a medical procedure and makes it so gross by just making the moment feel grounded and real and then um Yasna in the sequel has a has a moment that is like you said completely emblematic of what the two movies are that's so unreal yeah but yet you're still emotionally connected to what's going on mm-hmm. because he's he's still a good director that like they, it really illustrates the difference between them I think that's a great way to kind of talk about the gore here mm-hmm. is, is is Stuart Gordon was like He's not quite going for medical accuracy 100%, but like no. <laughs> he's going for it. He, he clearly spent some time watching autopsies or something to study for the right, right, right. 
Yeah, and I I think the other thing that's so that's so funny about all this, like, so they keep creating these like gross things, and people are. I love when Doctor Hill sees the dean just literally <laughs> just spouting bile, <laughs> not being able to talk, and, and he's like. Maybe it's neurological. Like, <laughs> like no one, no one is quite reacting as much to the fact that these people have like jelly <laughs> erupting from their their orifices yeah. um, in the way that you would expect them to. Yeah, because like um, because they aren't your typical zombies. What what's what's your reaction supposed to be? You know, you're not even like mm-hmm. in in a zombie movie. You kind of have to. You kind of have to uh, like roll with the idea that there have been no zombie movies in this universe, because otherwise, you know, yeah. all the characters. Why aren't you destroying the head or removing the brain? Because, <laughs> uh, uh, but here, even if even if there are zombie movies in this universe, these people aren't acting like zombies, you know. So, so yeah. Well, and they. Oh, go ahead. I don't know. That was kind of that. Like, you know, Dr. Hill has a funny response, but it's also not not completely out of the ordinary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, and it is so funny, too, because, like, th- that's part of why this, like, when you, when you see this and you're like, oh, this book or this short story from the 20s or 30s, like, it's not going to be this, right? <laughs> and, but essentially you have, like, you know, the, the reactive fluid that uh, Wes creates essentially in a lot of ways acts like adrenaline. And I was shocked to learn as part of my research, like adrenaline had not been discovered as a thing by the time Wes, like he essentially like, like anticipated that that was, was a thing that could happen. Like he's the first person that really like, he's not the first person to do zombies, but as far as, like, I could tell, he was one of the first people that had, like, cannibal zombies who were, like, eating other people. And, like, that's why this movie from 1985, like, it feels like just a – like, something that took a lot of stuff from 80s horror movies and Night of the Living Dead and all that kind of uh-huh. stuff when it really is actually, like, taking it just directly from a source material that, like, people forget how ahead of its time it was. And then, of course – it's also because Lovecraft was also, as we've said many times in the last couple of months, uh, extremely behind his time <laughs> in some other areas. Yeah, and and I do think that the that Stuart Gordon modernizes this adaptation in a way that uh, he needed to in order to connect with the material and offer what we have mm-hmm. here, which is like a true like horror comedy classic and i think this movie is the closest corollary i can come up with is return of the living dead where return of the living dead gets a lot of um, yeah it does remind me of that movie it, it does actually get the a, sequel does too it's something that is both horrifying and funny in the same second so like i love american werewolf in london and i love slither but usually in those two horror comedies or Shaun of the dead uh usually in those two horror comedies they pick so this moment is funny this moment is scary. This moment is funny. This moment is scary. Um, bad horror comedies average out in the middle, right? There's no peaks and valleys. It's it's just uh, everything is sort of goofy and you're ungrounded from it. Right, right. This movie is great because, like, you'll be laughing and then your stomach will kind of curdle <laughs> uh, in the same moment. Or your stomach will curdle and then, like, the moment goes on too long and then you start laughing at how ridiculous it is. <laughs> like, it kind of is – it kind of tugs at both ends, which, which makes it – both movies really fun party movies. Like, horror comedies are, are kind of best – at that uh-huh. um and this in return of the living dead which i think return of the living dead we covered on the show does not get enough credit for how creepy it is um this movie 
uh, I don't think gets enough credit for how creepy and uncomfortable it is. And it's because Stuart Gordon connects with the material on a, on a level that he, he thinks can ground it. But he also he, he has his own sensibilities, his own comic sensibilities. Uh-huh. And I, I think the ending in the movie uh is true to the story the original story it's not it's not the exact same ending but it's pretty close and the tone is not the exact same thing because the tone in the original story is pretty close but the original story was like from a more um very subtle parodic sort of level and then Stuart gordon was saying i want to make a grand guignol black 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 comedy Mm -hmm. The fact that this was originally intended on being a show and Stuart Gordon is a theater guy really all oh. makes this come together in my head for me because like um, I could ma- I could imagine Reanimator being a, st- a big bloody Grand Guignol stage show and working great like three sets yes. <laughs> the lab and I don't know like a forest or something where they're digging up mm-hmm. bodies like I could see it being you know three sets yeah and there's like uh, the cast is like five people <laughs> so yeah yes I'm Herbert West just like the literary one and uh just like uh, Herbert West in the sequel, my favorite detail about him and Jeffrey Combs as a character is that he's so bad at cleaning up. <laughs> like, he cannot put his toys away when he's done playing with them. He's like, he makes a zombie and he's like, well, that didn't work out. And this out the window. <laughs> I love how indefeasible he is, like, with just, like, being able to um, to move on to the next thing. Um, but it does it does very much feel like almost like the arrested development <laughs> joke where it's like uh you know this doesn't work for most com- uh couples but maybe it will work for us <laughs> because every time he injects it they become bloodthirsty monsters almost immediately and he's like all right i guess it just wasn't fresh enough let me now this guy i'm going to like he just is like crazed in the way that he just injects it into anything that he <laughs> finds and every time then he is like like his physical comedy when the cat's on his back when he is like flying around this is just completely unmatched and and just the way it does not seem to affect him it doesn't affect him he like the, this one is throwing him around this monster he's like dad help <laughs> and it's just it's just perfect and then the next person he injects it as well like he doesn't he he really is like a um a moral scientist <laughs> um when he's just like yeah well this is expanding my research i know what i need to change next time i'm not gonna stop injecting it that's what it is it's empirical evidence i inject i see what happens i change it i do it again <laughs> and that's actually one of the reasons i really like the fact that like it's one of the few zombie or like horror movies where the fact that the zombies get more verbal and more intelligent between the first and the second film actually makes a ton of fucking sense because that's what he's doing. Yeah, that's what he's trying. He's perfecting a formula. And I, I do like that this is because I, I think that Herb, Jeffrey Coombs as Herbert West is kind of like almost the platonic ideal of the mad scientist. And um, oh, yeah. yeah, right. And like he what I feel is the great strength of the movies is that you've got this um, the the zombies aren't all they, they're a threat, obviously, but like. West is the true 
antagonist hero, like anti-hero, I suppose. Like he, he's the guy that, that all our eyes are glued to, even with all the gross stuff going on. You're like, oh, what's Herbert West going to do next? You know, at least. Yeah, I, I like to think of him as the uh, living embodiment of the concept of an unforced error. Uh-huh. Like if it wasn't for him, Kane would have probably graduated from medical school. He seems like a good doctor. He cares about his patients. He's got the chops. He's dating uh, Dean Halsey's daughter. Like, and they seem really, really happy. Barbara Crampton's amazing in this movie, by the way. She's so, so adorable. Um, but uh, he seems like he's got all of his shit together. And then Herbert West comes along and shakes everything up. And it's like, it is the definition of an unforced error. <laughs> like, Kane could have shut, <laughs> st- shut this shit down at any point. And like, he got warning signs literally the first time he met him. West introduces himself with full yeah. on pedantry. Yeah. <laughs> he's literally like, as far as we know, that's the first class he's taking. Like, you fucking idiot, I can bring people back from the death. <laughs> like... He gets startled. He gets startled in the lab. Kane gets startled. And he says, I didn't know anyone, any, uh, anybody was here. And then uh, West corrects him and says, anybody else? Because <laughs> technically, he's like, well, I didn't know anybody else is here because he was there. So he knew somebody was there. Like, he literally introduces himself with pedantry. And then he never lets off that sort of Yes. <laughs> no. Like, at some point in the sequel, he, like, tries to convince Dan in, like, a sort of emotional appeal when he's pulling on the bride's uh, different body parts and is saying, like, we we made something together. Like, he's, he's giving an emotional appeal. Before then, it's all pedantry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's clearly just him trying to, I think, in some ways, like, get Dan back into it. But uh, as long as you're talking about lines, I'll, and I know we're going to have less time for the sequel, um... There's that line where, well, first of all, I mentioned him shut, trying to shut up uh, the the monsters in the tomb that he's throwing back there <laughs> that are now revolting, which is very funny. But when he realizes that they're cutting through the plaster or whatever, he's like, my God, they're using tools. <laughs> like, it is such a good delivery in line because it's both him being fascinated that that's happening <laughs> But also realizing that his research will stop if he dies. <laughs> the emotional appeal he does to Dan at the um, at the bride's slab. I I actually legit think that that is the like honestly creepiest that West gets in two movies. Yeah, because like. You know, he only ever, he's completely amoral. He's only ever thinking about his research and how to, how to further that. And like when he's like going over the bride's parts and like a ballerina's feet. And, and, and he's like the, the, he, yes, he is trying to do an appeal to emotion, but you can tell he doesn't quite know how to. And like, he's, he's just kind of, it's a suit that doesn't. Yeah, exactly. And like the big, like set piece argument is that we will make Megan's heart again (laughs) and it's like okay he has specifically said earlier in the film that he that all all body parts carry consciousness with them so with the serum right and the fact that he starts pimping megan's heart means that he's full of bullshit he is literally just trying to to control. Yeah, he's trying to, to appeal to Dan's emotion. Oh, yes. The, like, even without reanimator science, this regular-ass science tells you that all your emotions are in the brain. <laughs> you know, all the... Uh, yeah. But, like, in reanimator world, like, 
appealing to emotions by saying her heart will beat again is double bullshit because like you could even you could say Megan's forearm will live again and that'll be just as much Megan as any other part of her you know because they all have consciousness all the parts have consciousness weird uh like trying to fit on indeed that the the emotion suit that doesn't fit and just com- talking complete and utter bullshit to convert someone i was like oh gosh that is uh that is the scariest or the creepiest he's been to me in two movies yeah no i i agree you you know him at this point enough to know that he's full of right, shit right. and that's why it doesn't nothing about it feels right i do want to mention that that moment where, he, where that ends with him pulling the heart out of the freezer to go here's by the way I got this heart <laughs> you might need you might want this uh that's right before that is the hardest I laughed at both of these movies <laughs> um which is where uh he is putting fingers oh yeah with the eyeball <laughs> with an eyeball and then it starts walking around and it's the only smile that Herbert West ever gets <laughs> that looks legitimate and he has like a big goofy smile he just puts fingers together throws an eyeball on top pours some liquid <laughs> it starts moving around and he just looked like a proud <laughs> and then with the best comic timing and cut dan just looks at him and goes i'm moving out <laughs> <laughs> it's so good yeah that is that is that is perfect that you would because that that is the most sincere west is at any point versus the versus the heart speech which is the most insincere that he is yeah exactly (laughs) oh that's that's gorgeous that oh god yeah dan's moving out is is that is a fantastically timed line yeah (laughs) because that is like the only time i think that like Dan is like for I think for a split second, Dan is watching a true psychopath <laughs> who literally and realizes that is this so much about like medicine or just this guy literally just threw some appendages <laughs> together and threw and like and saw the most disturbing smile <laughs> pride emanating from like that is the most like I need to get a what am I doing I need to get away from this right yeah. away this guy's a loser. <laughs> Lunatic, like in a way that, like shooting the guy at the in the hospital tent in the war, like that was like, oh, I don't like what he has to do with for science, but it's for, but it's for science, it's for moving the human race forward. Making a finger eye monster <laughs> is just something a crazy person. Does. How, how is that in any way? Or like, oh no, he made a dog that can shake my hand. <laughs> <laughs> I love how the guy gets his arm ripped off and he immediately oh. the dog gets his arm the dog gets murdered and then he immediately is like I'm putting a human arm on that fucker. <laughs> yeah. It has not been 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah it's Peter as long as we're talking about bulls which I think makes sense given the time we're at. Do you want to give a quick uh, 60 second rundown of the Bride Reanimator plot? Yeah, sure. Um so, uh, Kane and West are still at it. They uh, have not shown any remorse from the last time. It has been eight months since the massacre at Miskatonic, um, where uh, the the hospital erupted into violence. And uh, all of those pieces of the dead zombies and the dead creatures are uh, sitting in an evidence locker uh, it, it, beneath the, the, the uh, hospital. And there's a cop on the trail trying to bust West and Kane for this because they're the only two survivors they're the only people that know what happened and he suspects they're responsible we find out the reason is because one of the zombies that got reanimated was his wife, mm-hmm. the cop's wife <laughs> um, 
uh, who he probably beat to death in a domestic violence incident, which we find out later. So the cop is bad. <laughs> um, and uh, so uh, the, the cop is investigating this at the same time. Uh, the, there's a, um, there's a doctor working in the basement, uh, on his own experiments (laughs) and, uh, Dr. Hill from the previous movie, who's still just ahead, uh, gets reanimated. And because he has a telepathic link with the outside zombies, anybody who's risen from the dead, um, he, uh, connects with the zombies that are still alive and in an insane asylum, uh, being, being stored at some sort of Arkham corollary. Um, and, uh, while that's happening, the cop continues to investigate Kane and West. Uh, he gets killed in the act of trying to murder West, and he gets turned into a zombie. And he, that zombie, plus all of the zombies who are in the asylum, break out and seek havoc on Kane and West. At the same time, they're, uh, Kane and West are trying to build a, a Bride of Frankenstein using Meg's heart, the partial corpse of uh, someone else that Dan fell in love with <laughs> and uh, a, a terminally ill patient that Dan fell in love with. Dash has a lot of, uh, you know, just affection for in the in the hospital and uh, other dead people's bodies. So the first movie is sort of a Frankenstein movie. Um, this one Would you say is, the second one's like a Bride of Frankenstein movie? The second one is sort of like a Bride of Frankenstein. <laughs> I feel like that's a really good... I oh. mean, I'm, I'm a good boy for coming up with such a good corollary <laughs> where I came up with such a good thing. I'm going to pat myself on the top of the head right now for that. Um, but this is this movie is... is uh, if you didn't get that the first one was actually pulling off of Frankenstein as much as it's pulling off of reanima- or, uh, the original reanimator story, Herbert West reanimator... Um, this movie makes it clear. So um, they start, they're trying to reanimate a bride because Dan is heartbroken over Meg's loss, heartbroken over the loss of another patient. And Dan is in love with three women in this movie. <laughs> Meg's memory, uh, a terminal yeah, fucking patient get it together, Dan. And Francesca, who seems to have no purpose in this movie other than being incredibly attractive. Like they don't give her anything to do except for be scared and have a dog that gets eaten. It's very, it's very weird how there's three women that serve that like all together, all smushed together, could be one compelling character. <laughs> but instead, they have like a a woman that was fridged in the last movie. They have a woman that was fridged in this movie. <laughs> I think I think you should I think you should have called out that the first woman that was fridged is literally fridged, <laughs> and that her heart is placed in a refrigerator. Uh, have we have I ever golf clapped on the show before? Is that how I'm going to respond to to cleverness now? Um, but yes, the the um, apparently with animosity. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's that's really true. Literally, a, there's a literally a fridged woman, <laughs> uh, two literally fridged women because they need to keep the the parts fresh. F- fresh. Uh, when that that is uh, that is concluded, uh, the house is under siege. Uh, Francesca, who is uh, someone that they met overseas while they were uh, on their previously uh, discussed uh, assignment, uh, saving lives in a in a, a war in Peru. Um, Some harsh they, air quotes over saving. Lives. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's, let's maybe Dan was saving lives, and then West was like, "Uh oh, he died. Time for me to inject him." Um, I, I want to know if a general ever checked in on them to be like, hey, like your failure rate is about um, 
100%. It's actually somehow 150% because sometimes people run into your tent and you murder them. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of weird this guy with a leg injury <laughs> dead with a bullet yeah. to the head. And then Wes would just be like, he got an infection. Um, bullet infection. Um, so, so yeah, these guys are, are up to no good in the basement uh, building their bride. And West is also secretly building other experiments because he has figured out that uh, different parts of the body hold consciousness the way a brain would. It does not rely on the brain. That's why this movie and the previous movie, they, they don't uh, do the uh, the Romero thing where they always shoot for the head. It's, uh, it's a different kind of thing. You have to destroy the body to the extent that the body will not reanimate on its own. So anyways, the reason I'm walking around this is because there's just a big clusterfuck at the end that I don't really know what happens except for it's awesome. Um, the, there's a, a fight between Dan's, uh, Dan's bride, bride, the bride of Frankenstein, bride of reanimator and, uh, the, uh, Francesca, who's his, uh, foreign war photojournalist who oh is she a journalist <laughs> I, I didn't even catch that she was a journalist <laughs> the wikipedia called her a journalist i assumed she was a freedom fighter that had to leave the country because they lost the war presumably because the reanimators <laughs> were murdering every soldier that they ever walked into the tent um anyways so that that's one part of it uh dan rejects the bride because he's disgusted by her she rejects herself by tearing her body apart uh hill comes back as a bat hill um <laughs> all the zombies raid the basement uh and there's a big kerfuffle where they're where west and, and kane and francesca are fighting the zombies kane escapes francesca escapes and west is left buried under the earth um, and that is how the movie ends. Eventually to get a job at a prison. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the, I, I feel like uh, Killing West at the end of this gave me a lot of, like, emotional catharsis where I was like, all right, this, like, this fucking chaos elemental is finally buried beneath there. Is that is that good enough? Um, but then they made a shitty bad sequel, so whatever. West is kind of the um, king of ambiguous deaths because I, I thought that the first one. He yeah, yeah. yeah. And then he's just <laughs> up and at it again. And that's the start of uh, this second one with no real uh with no real explanation uh, for it the you mentioned peter that uh francesca serves no real purpose i was um this series as fun as it is and hilarious as it is just kind of puts women in there because you need a woman in a movie i guess <laughs> uh that's actually more explicit than uh, than you think, because one thing that Stuart Gordon said was that um, with Reanimator, he was he was doing this thing where he was both kind of patting himself on the back for, hey, Lovecraft didn't include women in movies. And look, there was a woman in my movie. And then his next sentence was, because, you know, these movies need a damsel in distress. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, okay, like, the movies are so fun that you can kind of, or at least I, I kind of managed to, like, um, skirt around the issue. Because, <laughs> like, yeah. Barbara Crampton is extremely adorable in that movie, but, like, both Barbara, mm. and both Megan and um, uh, Francesca are just, like, completely useless in both movies. Like, at best, they yeah. manage to run away a little. And, um... 
and of course poor poor Megan is gets the uh, gets the worst treatment out of uh, any of them because yeah. like she gets <laughs> she gets assaulted by Dr. Hill in like a very uncomfortable <laughs> scene on the on the slab um I, I felt that yeah uh, I felt that that there was there was definitely like a, a very mid eighties impulse to like get get Barbara naked as much as possible in the first one. Uh and I get in from beyond, like she's naked and hot a lot too, but like that, that there's like her own agency there, you know? And yeah. um, here she's she's like like uh, Stugo apparently said, she's very she's very much constantly the damsel in distress. Like we we need a lady in there and more specifically we need some boobs in there <laughs> uh it has such an interesting perspective looking at it now too but like you know the first time i heard about this movie was from the movie american beauty right <laughs> they, they um, talk about it i saw american beauty once do. but <laughs> it, yeah that's all you need to see it if even that <laughs> but um no when this came out in 1999 there's a scene where kevin spacey and who's the who's the bad kid i forget west bentley that actor's name is yeah, um, they are uh, joking and talking about the movie Reanimator, and the the part that Kevin Spacey chooses to mention is the Doctor Hill's head on the slab with Barbara Crampton, <laughs> and so like, and that was uh, I didn't see it till a couple years after that, but like when I finally saw the movie, I'm like, oh, I remember this scene like being described in some movie. <laughs> And like later figured out it was American Beauty. So almost it is it is so trying to be over the top and and like everything in both of these movies are that like I'm I am kind of like it it kind of almost gets away with it in a way that I wouldn't give that same level of uh uh get away with pass to most other movies, but it is still like watching it through the prism of of now especially it is just like man that is a that's a gross fucking thing. yeah right like not in not in the fun way that kevin spacey's character in american beauty thought was. i love that it's kevin spacey of all people <laughs> well exactly that's what i mean like it, it really like it's almost like uh history caught up with what a how him laughing about what an amazing funny scene was <laughs> oh no to who he was as a person like the series's treatment of women doesn't give it enough leeway to become a fun gross scene like uh, meg is so helpless and uh just a yeah just just there to 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 scream and show her boobs uh that the the, it it is kind of to me uh like an, an unfortunate uh, blemish on the on the otherwise very uh, delightful reanimator. I agree, and I I do really like watching from beyond. It was like, oh, they made Jeffrey Combs the damsel, in this. yeah. And I and I I like that switch. I like that Barbara Crampton speaks very positively about um, this movie and working with Stuart Gordon through this. Like, I mean, it, it, I think it would be almost. Um, completely uh unpalatable to watch if barbara crampton was not so supportive mm-hmm, of those mm-hmm. moments um and i like that you know Stuart gordon switched it from from beyond but yeah it is uh you know like like we talk so much on this show like if you could take a director's cut to history <laughs> i know exactly what i know exactly what scene i would excise <laughs> 
The scene in the original movie is uh, gross, and I'm really happy that Yasna does not venture into anything nearly as gross in this. Yeah. But still, like, I, I, I don't know. And in, in From Beyond, there's also that that gross shit about S&M where it's, like, very kink shamey and it's, it's, like, it doesn't feel like... Um, this is someone genuinely, you know, uh, venturing into a new realm of their, their undiscovered sexuality, which would be really fun and interesting. <laughs> like, hey, this device seems like it's full of evil, but also, like, uh, I, I did make some discoveries about myself. <laughs> um, which would be a weird way because, like, uh, Lovecraft and Lovecraft stuff, typically, um, the, the menace is not always strictly malevolent. It's very often just at odds with our, our typical, uh, you know, forward progression, right? Like, they have their own goals, their own moves. I, I, I like the idea that sexuality would be an output of that. Like, uh, this weird device is making me super horny. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but like, all right, that's actually pretty cool. Like, I discovered something about myself. The movie doesn't treat it as that. The movie treats it as, like, oh, she's super horny yeah, but it's... in a bad way. Uh, I, I thought we came down on the... and. We don't have to come down the same thing, but I thought we came down to the fact that it's not kink shaming Barbara Crampton specifically. It's it's definitely kink shaming, but it, it's about the whatever the Doctor Pretorius or whatever as well. Like yes, yes, yes. It's just it's just uh, it's just it's kink seen. shaming, but it's not directed specifically at Barbara Crampton. She's yeah. just part of the the whole thing. Yeah, but it's just that like I I can't I love the idea of eighties movies being. Um, these super horny exercises in uh, excess, but I need them to fucking just commit to that in a way that's like, hey, you're allowed to have fun with this stuff. Like, it doesn't have to be disgusting. Like, if she actually, like, wasn't into Dan and she was secretly into Dr. Hill and then she, like, had a, a cons- uh, consensual sexual relationship with, uh, uh, you know, head. a corpse's yeah. head... <laughs> That would be kind of funny and cool yeah. and kooky, uh-huh. but her just being assaulted by a, a zombie head is like not. It's not like cool or funny. It's just well, especially while her dad rips off her clothes. Like there's a oh lot god, of yeah. yeah, it's not. It's it's, it's uh it's just a lot of shit. I don't I don't need in my life. Um, <laughs> Can you imagine what Megan feels but, like? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Seriously, I was. Um, but yeah, that's that's where I come down on that shit. Where I'm like, you could have done a lot to make this more interesting, but like, I don't. I've said this before. I don't think. I don't think sexual assault is interesting. No, well, I, and I don't think it's. I don't think to be men being horny right? is like, ever interesting. It's not worth I exploring. I don't think it's supposed to be interesting, right? It is, uh, as Luana said, like, it's supposed to be how do – it's an 80s horror movie. We need nudity. How do we show it? And because 80s horror movies, that was such a part of it. Um, but also 80s horror movies were about, like, fucking gory horror. They would combine them in a way that made, like, oh, I get it. We'll get the nudity while the monster sexually assaulted <laughs> Great, that two birds, right? We knocked yeah. that one out easy, hundred percent. Organically comes up organically, like it's bad. Yeah, I just never think it's. I just never think man is horny is interesting. Um, it's that no, interesting it's, as a character. It's, actually, it's only terrifying. <laughs> yeah, it's only terrifying. There's a whole other genre for that where that can be sated. Like it's not an interesting character motivation for something that legitimately drives the plot forward until it doesn't. until it's just like uh this moment was paused by our heroes coming in to rescue her which is like you're just like oh thank god and not thank god like oh she's gonna be rescued like thank god this fucking is over yeah exactly yeah and i love Uh, the movie but like i'm glad we're on the same page we don't need it 
Well, and that's another thing that Jeffrey Combs shares in common with Bruce Campbell in that uh, they both, uh, their claim to fame movies, uh, <laughs> both have uh, extremely disturbing moments of sexual assault played for laughs. I, I, um, I think that Raimi actually said that he doesn't like, like, thinking back, he's, he's sorry he did the, no. the tree rape in yeah, the first he, one. Yep. He has. Um, I mean, he fixed it in literally Evil Dead 2. Like, yeah, he, he did. He, he didn't out. do it again, and there was a tree attack. On mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they took, it, they took it out in the remake, too, that he produced, right? Yeah, he was like, this is not... He probably had to sit through enough showings of that movie, and he's probably a smart enough guy. <laughs> he's just like, why why, why do this again? Like, well, and also... the first time. <laughs> he probably had all of the worst people on the fucking earth. <laughs> Going up to him to say, oh, you know, my favorite part was tree rape. And he's like, no, no. Oh, my gosh. It's like my my worst instincts reflected back to me in a way that I want to crawl out of my skin and escape from. <laughs> but, yeah, the, the horniness um, – the horniness in one, I think, is a low point in a very good movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one, the way they deal with Francesca, and like, I, have we we haven't we haven't said it yet. Um, Francesca is a character in Austin Powers. <laughs> named a well, lot that's, of that's that's not bri- that's not Bride of Reanimator's fault. <laughs> I'm not saying it's her fault. The, or his, I'm not saying it's Bride of Reanimator's fault. The movie came, I don't know, a decade later, but. I've seen Austin Powers, International Man of Mystery, maybe a hundred times because I watched it a hundred times between 1997 <laughs> and 2002 or something. Um, and uh, so now whenever I see her, I'm like, it's a lot of vagina. I uh, I honestly spent the movie going, where do I know? <laughs> um, I guess I did not watch Austin Powers. I was more the spy who shagged me generation, Peter, uh, not inter- – I don't. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm younger than you too, which is fun. I know it makes no. Uh, fun. I, I I shamefully like all three of them. <laughs> <laughs> also, I think now if someone did a fat bastard voice to me, I think I would be kind of okay with it, just because <laughs> my is I funny. would not know what was happening enough that it would be funny. There's a reason like, did, we all like, did. Someone just that tell voice. me to get in my <laughs> right? belly, like. Um, also, the secret win of that is is doing the same voice, but using lines from So I Married an Axe Murderer. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a head like a melon. <laughs> hey, head! <laughs> Down! <laughs> Down in front, head! <laughs> He's got an enormous cranium! <laughs> uh, Imagine if Fat oh, Bastard turns- was in the Reanimate franchise. How much body horror you could wring from that? <laughs> oh my god! Oh, the body <laughs> horror, especially because you could peel it down and it'd just be Mike Myers is like, "Hey, you actually haven't been eating me, but I've been screaming at pain." <laughs> in fact, you're just taking off my costume. So we know if we ever do, for some reason, all three Austin Powers movies in one episode, uh, Luana. <laughs> Yay! That's gonna be my next episode, the Austin Powers trilogy. <laughs> We should we that would be the weirdest movies to do, but like <laughs> I haven't seen any of them in so long. Like that's we should do that at some point, Peter. 
I don't know where it fits in a month. Maybe that's our Christmas <laughs> special this year. <laughs> I once caught like the opening credits or something of Shrek Four, and it's the, it's the <laughs> one in which they have a bunch of babies, <laughs> and it's just like wall to wall fart jokes for like a full three minutes. <laughs> and, and and I have to admit that I was like I was like Ian Holm and Alien. I was like I admire its purity. <laughs> I was I was goddamn. I was legit belly laughing. It's like, holy shit, this is just baby fart jokes for three minutes. (laughs) That's amazing. I I can't not like that. (laughs) Uh, I love that. You you almost picture like a, a writing room that's just a rake gag. Like, okay, what's funny? Farts. Okay, what else is funny? Brave yourself. I'm still on farts. Like, just for 30 minutes. Yeah, so actually, it is... We should probably wrap this bad boy up. So, uh, any other little moments we didn't get a chance to talk about, and then we'll go to final thoughts? I have to say that I, um, I briefly mentioned it earlier, but I appreciate the fact that all the dead and mutilated animals are the fakiest looking puppets of them all so that it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't like bum you out that they like you know that they in universe kill the dog or, or an iguana or whatever oh, <laughs> like yeah, oh yeah it's yeah. it's fake it's just a puppet it's fine <laughs> they put the least amount of the least amount of effort into making that look real and i gotta say like the amount of throwing everything at the wall mm-hmm. um and like that you feel like they literally did not have time to make a realistic looking dead iguana um, <laughs> is it feels very bride of reanimator to me because bride of reanimator is a fucking throw everything at the yeah, yeah. movie like dr pretorius in that movie is is batshit like he's just like throwing out like there's little people in jars like i mean literally like like six inch tall people <laughs> in jars in that movie like he's coming up with crazy experiments yeah he's a loon i think yeah, he's a, he's a he's a bit of a goof that Doctor Pretorius. <laughs> yeah, so I guess I don't know. My my final thoughts are that these movies are good, and I think you should watch them. And I'm glad. Like, I don't know if this is uh, this didn't actually purposely work out this way, but I'm really glad that this, both from a movie perspective and a guest perspective ended up being kind of our final movie that we're covering over this long month. Again, we still do have one more episode. We recorded it a while ago that was always meant to kind of be our capper. But this is, you know, Stuart Gordon kind of started his career with this movie, and he put right at the front, like, H.P. Lovecraft's Reanimator. And I watched Reanimator before I knew anything about Lovecraft besides that he owned the movie (laughs) Reanimator based on the how I understood how possessive nouns worked (laughs) um but uh and but like there was something about the name like H.P. Lovecraft like that was a uh having initials and then a very evocative last name it's like I love this movie I don't know what this guy writes. I'm assuming he's like a Poe or something, <laughs> like a Mary Shelley. Um, but I'm not surprised that like Stuart Gordon, other people said that this is kind of what, uh, again, put this particular story back into print, but also got a lot of people to start reading Lovecraft because while that didn't happen with me, um, It was something where later on when I was learning about, like, the Cthulhu mythos and a bunch of other stuff we've talked about this summer, 
where I was like, oh, yeah, the guy that did Reanimator, like, I love that. I, so I'm probably going to like something of this, even if I don't quite understand it. And um, I think in a lot of ways, this month has kind of closed that loop that first started with watching this movie and getting into the Cthulhu mythos and in college and reading some of the stories because now I, I have read most of them in a way that I a year ago I would have said I like the my uh, I love everything about Lovecraft except his story <laughs> um, and his racism uh, but like I just I just had trouble reading them but I liked everything that other people pulled pulled out of them for movies or concepts or thematically and so to kind of finish here again finish with the first Lovecraftian thing I ever was exposed to with, uh, you know, both the good and the bad. Like I, I, I found more to love about his writing while also realizing like, as you read stories like the street and horror at red hook. And it's like, yeah, this, this is not subtle. (laughs) What a, what a terrible dude he was like. Um, but it 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 is something that the, that concept of the universe being terrifying, the universe having these forces that don't care about you, and the feeling that the more you learn about that, the more uh, the more you are affected by it in a negative way. It's it's right here in this story. It's in so many of them that I love, and that's something that like continue, especially as I get older. Uh, continues to speak to me in a very like uh, I'm laughing about it, but yeah, no, I'm terrified of what happens after I die, and uh, and uh, that the universe is uncaring, and that everything I was taught, like as a kid, for these safety nets of like afterlife, I don't believe in anymore. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, so that's kind of a messy way to end it, but hey, Lovecraft wasn't a good writer, and I'm very tired, so it all works out. <laughs> Peter, Luana. What are your final thoughts? Uh, Luana, do you have any final thoughts on uh, Reanimator, Brighter Reanimator, and Lovecraft? Well, I believe that uh, Lovecraft was a fantastic idea guy. And uh, yeah, he did, of course, for modern audiences, uh, the, hell, even back then it was racist, the, um, let his uh, idiosyncrasies get in the way of a good yarn sometimes. And um, I think what uh, Stugo and Yuzna did was to um just in the just the purest sense properly adapt a story they took what was like like true herbert west they took from it what they wanted and they assembled something that generally just works and um you know, while they have, while they have some the idiosyncrasies of the time themselves, like with the um, make it on the slab scene, for instance, uh, they're they're fantastic movies. Um, I'm gonna, my preference goes out to the first one still. I'd say, uh, despite despite having that uncomfortable scene, and um, yeah, and I I think what. Um, what my my favorite thing that they did was to capture the theme um capture love, one of lovecraft's main themes that discovery uh is scary the more you know about the world the more you're going to get fucked up by it and put it all into mm-hmm. the um character of herbert west and just make him a uh, a um an unrepentant amoral mad scientist mm-hmm. played by just the absolutely most serendipitous actor jeffrey coombs that uh that they could find 
and uh, to to fantastic effect. And, um, and so yeah, I'm, uh, was uh, was a great experience uh, doing these um, doing these three stories together for this podcast. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much, Luana. Like I said at the beginning, this is not a traditional what we would associate with Lovecraft, and it's not a story that was particularly meaningful to him. It's not something we could, you know, attach. Uh, it's easy to attach parts of his life to in the way uh, Charles Dexter Ward is. Um, but uh, we should still cover – I'm glad that we covered this uh, because, uh, A, obviously, it's it's the most notable Lovecraft adaptation. Whether Because people don't even realize that it's a Lovecraft adaptation and they love it. Um, but – this it, it it's written outside the mythos there's never any allusions to elder gods yada yada as far as i've ever seen but um it, it does hint at, at, at some of his other core ideas which is someone who's driven to scientific research going gone wrong um which is very much a a thing that he developed and drew on and he he pushed forward in most of his stories like a researcher gone too far like that's that's his that is Lovecraft's mythos and uh, tapping into the base mysteries of the universe. I mean, what's more base than than bringing someone back from the from the dead? Um, and it's a it is sort of a gothic exploration of morality, like it, it, taking taking uh, these these uh, men of science, these uh, people who society has has placed into a specific position of privilege. Um, and, and watching them go a little bit too far or a lot a bit too far um, with, with that privilege. Um, and uh, in that sense, yeah, like I feel like it fits perfectly as a way to wrap this up. It's also the most fun stuff we're going to do, we, we did, um, in terms of like it's funny, it's, it's light, it's, um, it's bouncy, and you get to watch some awesome monster effects. Um, but on that same part, though, I do love watching Bride of Reanimator so close to Reanimator because, like I said, uh, Bride of Reanimator feels like this is a movie about Kane and West uh, having to face some repercussions for their past actions. Um, Meg's death weighs heavily on the second movie. The, the entire Gloria subplot, it really like helps develop that even further because... Meg is represents past mistakes. Gloria represents them trying to be real doctors, science not being able to save someone, uh, and then them stepping up beyond the bounds of normal expected, uh, you know, science, uh, normal expected behavior, the law, um, morality to try and save her. And it's 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 an interesting way to pull the audience forward through the story and to take these mad scientists on their journey. And uh, yeah, but like at the same time, like it is an exploration of morality and like sin. But like this one is similar to, to regular Bride of Frankenstein uh, is a, a goofier and more campy movie with more creature effects. And um, in, in that sense, that's why the two movies, I feel like, are inextricably linked because it's taking characters and themes from the first movie and really um, making the first movie feel more whole. For some reason now, I'm like attached to the Dan, the Dan character, uh, whereas 
I wasn't at the end of the first movie, but once I saw Bride of Reanimator, I was. And, and the, way the corollary, I think, for that is like almost Parks and Rec, where you're like, I didn't like Leslie Nope after season one. But season after season two, like I can go back and watch season one and I'm more attached to her. Um, so in a sense, I feel like these these two movies need to be my pitch would be these two movies need to be more closely connected to one another. Yeah. When people are having discussions about Reanimator and that Beyond Reanimator needs to be um, forgotten. I like that you called bride of frankenstein regular bride of frankenstein. <laughs> yeah <laughs> like the idea that you'd be like hey guys come over we're gonna watch a movie do you guys want to watch regular bride of frankenstein or irregular bride of frankenstein because they're very different movies i also didn't i mean there's so many there's so many bride of frankenstein riffs that are actually really good movies this is one of them and the other one is frankenhooker and young Frankenstein. And young Frankenstein is 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 mostly a riff on uh, on that. Um, but Frankenhooker and this movie feel yeah. inextricably linked. Um, and Blood Diner, like I said. And Blood there's, Diner too. There's some Blood Diner in there. Um, Bride of Frankenstein anyway. birthed more great movies than than I, I don't know any other horror movie. <laughs> That's because she had a you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, that has more, but I don't know. Anyway, Luana. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us again. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, thank you for having me. It was uh, a, a delight, as always. We have found two other movies that you're going to join us on, one of them being a trilogy of <laughs> movies. I don't know if I got cut out or not. Hopefully not, Peter. I think there's some good material in there that we can use or expand on in a future ep- episode. But for the time being, Luana, why don't you tell everyone where they can find your work? Well, you can find... Uh mine and my buddy Travis Kirkland's podcast on uh, monstercommentaries.libsyn.com uh, um, we're also on iTunes uh, we're on uh, Stitcher we just have the Kaijuke box which is a uh, regularly updated um, playlist on Spotify full of um, kaiju or monster related tracks going from um, the original like Akira Ifukube uh, Gojira soundtrack to uh like uh, the uh, Danny Elfman Army of Darkness score uh, and the um, the uh, P. Diddy uh, Godzilla 98 uh, track. Oh, you gotta have that. That's with uh, featuring Led Zeppelin, I believe. <laughs> yeah, and they got Jimmy Page himself to go <laughs> to, to play the riff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, way cheaper that way. Uh, that was that. You, you can find us uh, on Twitter, on Facebook, uh, and... Uh, you can mail us at monsterallencommenters at gmail.com. And you will find those links and the link to their Patreon in our show notes. So please go check it out. It is a wonderful show and definitely worth uh, giving it a listen. Peter, as we've said like eight times, we have one more episode for Lovecraft Month, which is uh, a Don't You Dare, which is like a, a show that we do occasionally. It made more sense to cover it in that context because it is it would be, we'd have to name the show we love to play because it's a video game called Bloodborne, which we're not uh, rebranding again. <laughs> we're not rebranding again. Uh, we still have old logos and old things that show up in random places because no one knows how the internet works. Uh, <laughs> least of all, H.P. Lovecraft. <laughs> um, but uh, we uh, were, yeah, so we're doing Bloodborne, which uh, I think is the best uh 
adaptation of Lovecraftian themes. I think Peter would agree. I think we say it 30 times on next week's episode with guest Andrew Darr. So very excited for you guys to hear that. Uh, September, this is our second year doing a little bit of an off month where uh, Peter and I have recorded a lot of stuff over the course of the year that is a lot of fun to record and then we just never get around to editing it. So uh, we're kind of uh, not, we, we call it what, odds and ends month, uh, digging out the archives. So it's we have... Not, it's Sounds like we're offering people trash when you say that. <laughs> it's all good no, shit. like uh, we have a lot of good stuff. We have two more episodes of Star Trek, which is the series where Peter uh, goes through the Star Trek movies for the first time that he's never seen. We're going to be doing Star Trek three and four. They're both going to release in September. We have a couple episodes of Don't You Dare, which is the podcast we occasionally do where we dare uh, each other to experience pieces of art. Uh, I read a whole comic book series, Zero, I believe it's called. It's been like a year. Oh, that that episode's really good, yeah. It's really good. And then uh, Peter listened to all of Third Eye Blind's debut album. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that episode's really uh, really painful. Uh, uh, It's uh, going to be good. Uh, So those episodes are coming out. And then we have an extra, We a couple years ago for uh, September. Or October, we did Slugfest. Uh, so we're going to have a bonus Slugfest episode on uh, the movie Ticks, the Seth Green starring uh, movie from 1990. Because when we did our Slugfest, uh, now you wouldn't think Ticks is part of Slugfest. But when you see the movie, which is last I checked still streaming on Amazon Prime, trust me. But it was completely unavailable unless we wanted to spend $100 on a v- VHS. And now some complete maniac has a remat clearly not officially remastered it, but did remaster a VHS copy and put it on Amazon. <laughs> so I would highly recommend watching it um, okay. because it's a bonus slugfest. Yes, and uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be a really fun odd month. I'm very pumped. So thank you so much for listening to our summer of Lovecraft. I mean, maybe 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 we'll come back to do another month on it someday. But uh, like in January. Yeah, January. We're gonna in January. We're gonna we're do gonna, we're, we're gonna, gonna do more Lovecraft cause stuff. Because we, uh, we, we wanted to keep doing it. Time to go to sleep, Luana. Yes. Thanks again. Good night. Good night. And good morning to you. Thank you so much for listening to We Love to Watch. If you made it to the end, hopefully you liked what you heard today. And if you'd like to hear more, please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch. And if you can chip in a few bucks, that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward. Uh, it wasn't an implicit threat by Peter. He just didn't know how to say it. But either way, we'll continue to make more. But it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going, which is all on server space. Uh, <laughs> if you can't, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand. And you want to support the show. Show, we truly absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on iTunes. I know every podcast says it and it's because it really does help. And so every podcast wants that help. So please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically, they hopefully want to tune in and listen. And thanks again for all of your listenership and support and 
time throughout the years. Uh, we really do appreciate you uh, with kisses and smooches, Peter and Aaron. <laughs>